Hello, 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 and welcome back to the More Money Podcast. This is your host, Jessica Morehouse, and this is episode 330. And for this episode, we're doing a deep dive in being a homeowner and some things that you need to think about because, you know, I've had some guests over this uh, season, the past several seasons, talking about how to buy a home. But once you become a homeowner, I feel like lots of people don't talk about what actually goes into it. And take it from me, who's uh, now, this is probably my sixth year uh, being a homeowner and, and, you know, very different now because I, I used to own a townhouse. It was kind of more part of a, you know, condo complex. Now I'm in a house, very different beast, a lot more work, a lot more expensive to maintain. Well, I've got Romana King on the show. She's the director of content at Zolo, but also the author of a book that I'm going to recommend to anyone who is very new to home ownership or just needs a guide, like a really good guide on how to make sure I am doing home ownership right. It is called House Poor No More, Nine Steps to Grow the Value of Your Home and Net Worth and really goes through anything that you could possibly think of in terms of what, you know, hey, I just got a house. What do I do to make sure it's all up to code, you know, and there's not going to be an expensive, you know, emergency that I didn't prepare for because I wasn't aware of it. Um, What are some things that I should be saving up for some maintenance or some renovations? And how could I just in general improve the value of my home? So by the time I eventually want to sell it, it will, you know, be a hot commodity and people will want to buy it and it'll be nice and easy breezy. So we're going to talk about all these good things, a little bit more about uh, Romana in case you've never come across her name, but I'm sure you honestly have. Um, So like I've mentioned, she's currently uh, the director of content at Zolo, but she was also the former senior editor and real estate expert at MoneySense. And her almost 20 year career as a financial journalist includes various awards and nominations, including the Silver Award for Business Service article in the Canadian Online Publishing Awards in 2019 and a gold medal award in the 2014 CPA Finance Reporting Awards. And her most recent achievement was, of course, the release of her new book, House Poor No More, which is exactly what we're going to be talking about today. And uh, since it's a release, the book has been a number one bestseller on Amazon. Woohoo! Uh, and of course, I'm going to be giving away a copy of her book. So stick around to the end of the show to learn how to enter to win. Okay, without further ado, just want to share a few words about this podcast episode sponsor. And then I'm going to get right to that interview with Romana. This episode of the More Money Podcast is supported by Oxio. Have you had it with the big internet providers in Canada? The contracts, constantly shifting prices, and customer service that will keep you on hold for hours? If only there was another option that could provide you with the same quality internet, minus all that other BS. Oh wait, there is Oxio, a digital internet service provider that first launched in Quebec in 2019 and has since expanded to Ontario and British Columbia. Want to know why I made the switch to Oxio? For starters, Oxio is everything the big telecom companies are not. They provide unlimited internet, no contracts, fast and local customer service, and they don't sell your data. And they pride themselves in being radically transparent with their pricing. No, seriously. For all of their internet packages, they show you the breakdown of where your money goes from network costs to how much the company actually profits. Not only that, Oxio's prices are typically lower than the average market price. So switching could mean more money in your pocket. It sure did for me. Want to give it a try too? Just visit oxio.ca and use promo code MOREMONEY to try out Oxio for free for one month. It's as simple as that. Once again, visit oxio.ca, that's O-X-I-O dot C-A, and use promo code MOREMONEY to try Oxio for free for one month. Welcome to the More Money Podcast, Ramana. I'm so excited to have you on the show. You really did write, like, honestly, I was, you know, reading your book. And I'm like, this is a hefty Bible when it comes to, like, you know, housing. This really is, like, your kind of Canadian housing go-to Bible. Not, no stone left unturned. I feel like you answered every possible question I've ever gotten in my life about housing. So I appreciate this because I feel like this will be the answer to so many people's, uh, like, desires, especially in the crazy housing market that we're still kind of experiencing. I feel like at the, at the moment, what I've been hearing from some people is like, oh, things are cooling down, but who knows? It's different across across the country. Um, so so welcome to the show. I'm so excited to dive in. <laughs> what a lovely intro. Thanks. Yeah. Um, so before we really dive in, because you really, I mean, I mean, obviously you, you have experience in this uh, quite a bit, but you really go into like every aspect you could possibly think. It's, it's And what's great about it is it's a book that I can... And everyone honestly can uh, 
refer back to when there's certain times of the year. You're like, oh, wait, you know, I put a little sticky tab on that, you know, just reminders and stuff like that. But I'm curious, tell me a little bit about yourself and your background. What, you know, eventually led you to this point where you're like, I need to write this book. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I I fell into financial journalism. Um, I wasn't a finance person to begin with. Uh, The tragedy happened. My family, my father died suddenly. Um, he had terminal cancer, but it was very late diagnoses. And so we had about four days to process the diagnoses and then he passed. Oh, and so, wow. yeah, thank you. And my father was an awesome guy. Like he's an awesome yeah. dude. And yeah. he took care of the finances and not because, um, he didn't think women couldn't do it because he actually taught me a lot. I expressed interest when I was a, you know, a teenager and he took me under his wing and he showed me how to do my taxes. He talked about the importance of building up credit. He helped me get my first loan. He helped me pay back my first loan. Not, not that he gave me money, but you know, really like you, you have to make your payments. This is about credit. You know, you're taking a small loan so you can, so he did all of that to help me, to help set me up. We never called it financial literacy. He just said, these are life skills. You need to know these things for life. And so when he passed, my mother wasn't given those skills as a, you know, a child or a teenager. He sort of took them on. So suddenly my mother was left with, you know, overwhelming grief, like all of us. And then also I now need to not just manage a household, but manage all the finances. And there's a life insurance someone, what do I do? And around that time I was graduating from school and I needed to get a job. And I had applied at that time. I had covered construction. That was my thing just to get me through school. thought, well, I'll apply for a construction magazine because, well, I know that. And I did. And they were like, yeah, they were <laughs> this is dating me, but they were very, very honest. And, and it was very illegal. And they just said, you're qualified. You're great. We can't hire you because you're a woman. And <gasps> it's, yes. And it's big industry and big business and only men are taken seriously. And I'm actually wow. grateful that they told me that and they didn't tell me that, you know, yeah, it's your nice butt. But they said, you know, we're going to put your resume on file and other editors will grab it. And so another editor did. So it's a long story to say, that's how I got involved in financial journalism is another editor who is a long stalwart of, you know, financial education, financial literacy, wrote about this in the US and then moved up to Canada. He found my resume and went, yep, I'm going to take her. And he took myself and there was a few others, all of whom I consider myself very fortunate to be in sort of in step with. Uh, and he nurtured us as financial journalists. And we wrote for a trade publication, but we wrote just before the Christ credit crisis in 2008, 2009. So it was this huge learning lesson about how big decisions and uh, lack of regulation and lack of compliance can trickle all the way down and affect the everyday Joe, everyday Jane. And it made it really poignant at that time. It was like, wow, you know, these decisions that we make they can really hurt us and set us back. I mean, some people lost all their savings. They had to go back to work at 65. So that really leaves a mark on you. Fast forward, I've got, you know, a few years in financial journalism. I've got, you know, uh, manager, uh, uh, financial planners and uh, insurance and what have you. And then I I join a a consumer publication with my knowledge and say, okay, I'm going to write for the consumer now. They said, great, we have a column called Getting Started. It's about getting started in investment. We'd like you to write it. I was like, mm, I was always told you should write what you're passionate about. I'd like to write about real estate. Oh, you can't write about real estate. That's not investments. And I was like, no, but it's personal finance. And I think we touch on it. How about you give it a go? And if it doesn't go anywhere, I'll write whatever you want. And if it goes somewhere, maybe it's, you know, a, a good, fo-. and they said, you know what? Okay. So they were really, there was a lot of, you know, scrutiny, but they allowed me to. And what it proved was we could actually write about real estate from a personal finance perspective. Uh, And it's not that I was the only person doing this, but I think there was only a smattering of people that actually brought the home, and I'm not talking about real estate investments, but brought the home into the the holistic perspective. And I, I wanted to do that because my own family went through losses because of lack of knowledge, because of not understanding how the system worked. And they, my father was like, well, I'm not going to do that again. And he learned and then taught me. And so I wanted to do the same. I wanted to take all, when I was writing this book, I wanted to take all of that information and just say, how can I distill it in a way where people can pick it up like a reference, like a manual, like you talk, like I wanted a manual that if someone becomes a homeowner, they can pick this up and say, well, if it, even if it doesn't answer every one of my questions, it's a start. And that start allows me to feel a little less intimidated and I get more information. 
Yeah, because oh, I feel a long like answer. <laughs> no, that was a great answer. That was a really great answer. It makes it, it makes a lot of sense to why you wrote this book because, I mean, it's 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 funny that there was even a time where it's like, oh, no one's going to read about real estate. It's like absolutely. I mean, people are always reading about real estate because it affects all of us, whether we're a renter or not. Um, we're always kind of paying attention to what's uh, going on, and you know. I mean, this is like kind of a cliche, but you know, it is the the biggest financial investment we're going to make in our lifetimes, right? Probably for most of us. And, um, but the thing is, it's crazy. I, so I, I recently, you know, bought my, my second place. So we sold our townhouse, bought a house and even just going from the transition of like townhouse, it was a condo townhouse. So we, you know, it was very hands off the things now that we're homeowners. I'm like, Oh, we have to do that now. We have to rake our own leaves, you know, like we have to, I guess we got to get a, you know, a mower for our yard, all these things. I'm like, Oh wow. We were really lucky being a uh, townhouse owners. It was so easy. And now there's so many new questions that we have. And it is kind of intimidating because I feel like, too, if I go to like my parents or, you know, my husband's parents or they've been homeowners, like actual house owner for so long. It's like second nature. But for lots of new people, it's like, wait, what do I have to do? Do I have to there's like I feel like an idiot, but I I do. I'm like, wait, what do we have to do in the spring? I feel like and there's like a part of your book. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm going to put that in the calendar. We're going to have to like look at the roof and all this. There's so many things to think about. But I think sometimes often we just think about the part of actually buying the home, not actually owning the home, maintaining the home, and how to to also be kind of a long-term homeowner. Because it's like, we were just in our townhouse for five years. It went by so quick. And also, like, we didn't deal with any of the outside part of the house. Now there's so many things that we need to <laughs> figure out. And we've only been here three months. I'm like, oh, gosh, there's a lot to learn. And it's overwhelming. Like, exactly what you said. We, you look at your parents and your grandparents and, and, you know, people before us. And they're like, oh, well, you'll figure it out. It's You know, you just have to maintain the home. But I don't know if you have, to, I have children. And, and when I first had my children, you know, I had my in-laws and my parents go, well, you know, you, you just get them to sleep. I don't know. You t- talk to any first-time parent. I never got them to sleep. Like I, I cried when they cried and I, you know, it was a battle. And it, it wasn't a battle because, you know, I, I wanted it done my way. It was a battle because I didn't know. I didn't know what to do. I thought it was supposed to be innate and, and I would just understand it. Just like if I bought a home, I just understand how to maintain it. I didn't. I didn't understand. And over time now, I'm fortunate. I married uh, an excellent man, uh, bane of my existence sometimes, but he's an excellent <laughs> man and he's he's involved in you know construction. And so he and I, al- alongside with one another, bought our first home and learned. We learned his skill set, my knowledge. We learned what all homeowners should do. And they don't need his skill set or my knowledge. What they need is a cheat sheet of, oh, I don't need to spend anything, but I do on an annual basis need to look at my roof. Because if I look at my roof, I can catch the issues. And my husband and I are hilarious. We'll go into neighborhoods. We're like, oh, they've got roof problems. Oh, they've got heating in there. We can see. And it's terrible. It's like we go into a place and we're like picking it apart. We don't mean to, but we see the, the problems. That is what you want. You want that sort of familiarity with your own home so that you know before it becomes very expensive what you need to do. And then that actually maintains your cash flow, which gives you more options. And it maintains your home, which, as you said, is the largest, probably the largest purchase you'll ever make. You want that to, you know, keep its value, increase in value, and not just because the market just dictates that it will. You know, if you're going to go sell, it would be nice if you put all this effort and time into it to sell at the best possible price for that reason. Absolutely. And I think when people think of, you know, you know, being house poor or having a money pit, it's because you don't know what's going to happen and then it happens, right? We see those things in the media all the time. It's like this person is, you know, it was $30,000 renovation or whatever, or they had to fix this because this fell apart. And it's because they didn't know. If you kind of knew potential things that may break that you're going to have to fix, you're going to have to redo in advance, then you can make a plan. And then it's not such a scary big thing. You could get a, you know, a home equity line of credit in case these things happen, all that kind of stuff. But I think, yeah, like you said, you know, one of the things I was thinking, I'm, I'm curious what you think about this is, you know, when we bought our place, we did get the the previous owners did do a home ex, home expect uh, home inspection and gave it to all prospective um, buyers. And I'm like, well, this is great, but I do actually want someone to come through our house again and make a checklist because we know some of the things in the report, but also I'd like to have someone actually go through it with us and explain what do what what's the the first thing that's going to come crashing down that we need to pay attention to because again we don't have any experience in this we don't know what looks like a bad roof or not so yeah what what you know if someone were to kind of be a new house owner what would be a kind of a strategy so they can kind of make these preparations 
I mean, am I allowed to plug my book? It's in the book. No, of course. <laughs> of course. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's in the book. But what you said is accurate. It's, you know, if you have a home inspection report, take that report. That's your first tool. Take that report and take a look. Oh, he's saying I've got 15 years left on the on the roof. That's a ballpark. That doesn't mean you're going to have 15 years. Like, so start to consider in seven or 10 years, I need to know where that money is going to come from. And in seven or 10 years, other issues may speed in that process up. You know, maybe the whole roof is... 15 years, but maybe a section of it, which I bought a house like that. One section was in the worst condition ever, lasted five years. The rest was 25 years. So you have to take a look at everything. You want to take a look at that home inspection report and understand, okay, these are the things that I have to prioritize. Make a list. And then you have to take a look at your annual maintenance stuff. And why are you taking a look at that? Well, I need to make sure that water flows away from my home. Why? Because water is one of the worst things for your home. Your home is a bubble. It is supposed to be a bubble that you can control the inner climate. And when you can't control the inner climate because there's, you know, cracks in it, literally cracks and things are coming in, you have an issue. And so water is one of the worst. You want to make sure the water gets away from your home. And one of the things that I now know is if I ever buy another home, probably, if I ever buy another home or another investment property, I know that any resale home that I have, one of my criteria will be getting, you know, examination or an inspection on, on the drainage. And the reason being is, I would say 95% of homeowners don't realize that that has a lifespan. And it, yes, it's long, maybe 30, maybe 40, maybe 50 years, but it is finite. And at some point it's going to have a problem. And I don't think I've bought a resale home yet that hasn't had some sort of issue with the drainage. And so why is that a problem? Because I will never recoup the money I put into digging it up, relaying the weeping tile, yeah. putting all the... the the stones back in and making sure there's no soil. No one is ever going to go, oh, what beautiful stones. I'm going to give you an extra 10000 So that's a, a sunk cost. But if I know that going in, I know, hey, this house looks great, but none of the fundamental foundational things, like quite literally the foundation things, have been taken care of. That might not be the best home for me. And that's kind of the whole point of this book is, hey, you know, I know you want to make it beautiful. I know, but you know what? You can buy the right home and then build, make it your dream home. But if you buy your dream home and it's not the right home, then all that glossy beautiful, you might have to rip open the walls just to redo the electricity because, hey, the electrical is, is fizzing out or you don't have a big enough amp box. This is a big cost. You wanna be able to see that stuff. So I love the fact that you got an inspection or someone to come in and say, here's my checklist. What's my checklist? How am I gonna do that? Because you're spending a very little amount of money up front to make a long-term strategic plan, which is kind of how, th that's the way to smart homeownership, no matter Absolutely. how you do it. Absolutely. I know there's another thing that you mentioned in your book. I'm like, oh, I'm going to add that to the list was to get a home energy audit, which is like another, like not so much like, oh, things are going to break, but these are things that are, if you don't, really pay attention to them. They, they're just kind of dripping, like money is just going to be just flowing out of your house and they're very easy fix. It's kind of like a leaky kind of faucet situation. You won't notice their little amounts, but over time they'll make a lot of money. Do you want to kind of explain what a home energy audit? I've heard about it before, something I still need to do. So I'm a huge fan of home energy audits. And, and the first thing I'm going to say is anyone who's thinking about any major renovation, stop and consider whether that that re renovation or any future upgrade is going to include some of the biggies furnace ac windows roof uh, and roof comes also insulation and then consider if your home is hot sometimes cold sometimes but not regulated and the reason why i suggest that is because those are the sort of the indications that your inner climate that you're supposed to be able to control isn't controlled well and there are quote unquote leaks and there really are just leaks in the house. And so a home energy audit is, and some places in Canada allow you to you know, write it off the whole cost. Some will only give you a portion rebate back. It's a cheap uh, cost, relatively speaking, anywhere from like a couple hundred to a thousand, depending on where you are and the size of your home. But it gives you a cheat sheet of exactly what's wrong in terms of how your home consumes energy. Where is the, the, you know, the heat disappearing? You know, even a small dime size hole, can you, you can lose, lose hundreds of dollars in energy costs just from that dime size hole. And we don't realize those lots like that. Our, our attic is one of the worst places. Anytime you go into an attic and you see any slivers of light around um, plugs or, or where pipes come through, that's where heat is lost. And that's just literally money up into the air going nowhere. 
So you want to do this home energy audit. You, there's there's companies out there that are qualified to do them. They come in, they, they literally seal off all the doors and then put a big fan and then they test everything. And that's how they do it. Uh, I mean, it's a bit more scientific than that. I yeah. sort of dumbed it down because that was my interpretation of how they did it. But then they monitor and they test everything. And then you get a report. And in the report, it tells you, okay, you're losing this much through windows. You're losing, like I, my office is in a solarium. You better believe I'm losing a lot in energy. So I have to be very smart and strategic about how I heat and cool this place. So we have fans, we have, we have curtains, right? We have things to do that helps manage the inner climate. Um, that'll give you better ideas of how you can benefit in terms of what you can do to replace things, what you can do to upgrade things. And the good thing is, is if you do a, a certain percentage of those that are listed in the home energy audit, you are you, you qualified for all these rebates. So if you're thinking of doing windows and nothing else, go get a home energy audit. Why? Because that $500 you spend on it will give you rebates back on all those windows on top of any manufacturer rebates. And then you'll suddenly see, oh, well, the doors. Okay, well, well, now I have a two-year period where I can get these rebates. So now I can plan for it. Maybe I put it up, put, put off those new windows for one year, save up even more, do it all at once, get all of those rebates back, and it costs me less out of pocket than if I was just to wait and do it piecemeal. You have to do the math, unfortunately, but a home energy audit is one of the best kept not secret secrets. Mm -hmm. Like people need to know about this. Yeah, it's not like a sexy thing, like doing a home, you know, a kitchen reno, but it's one of those things where it's like, I mean, because this is our first winter in our house, you better believe we're gonna do this audit because I know for a fact that it is freezing downstairs. I'm like, it's, it's the windows and it's also, we have this glass door into our backyard and you can just feel the cold air and you're like, yep, that's what's happening. And you don't, and that's the annoying thing. It's like, you don't know these things until you get into your house and live into it. And then you're like, okay, well, this is a problem that we need to, to figure out. Even if it's in the, even if it's, you know, in the report, you don't really know, even if it's not, I mean, there's so many things that you're like, oh, well, that's another thing. I was just having a conversation with someone the other day about, you know, so much focus is just on the, you know, getting enough money to purchase that home, not enough on actually how much it costs to own a house. Like it's, it's expensive. The maintenance that we just got our water bill after three months and you know, it's pricey. <laughs> home ownership is expensive. And, and yeah. people, they want to gloss over that fact. It is expensive. And we, we do gloss over that fact because we're like, oh, it's such a good asset. Yeah. If you're strategic about it, if you're smart about it. And I think there are lots of, I'm a homo, I'm, I drank the Kool-Aid. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I'm mm -hmm. a big believer, mm -hmm. but I'm also not, um, I'm not foolish enough to think that, hey, I'm going to buy this home and I'm going to do no, no maintenance, no cost. It's going to cost me. It always costs me more than I think. But I live and I work in my home. My kids are being raised in my home. It is a lifestyle choice that I have decided. And yes, it means that I have less to say put away in my investments or my savings, but that doesn't mean it's in place of. I'm not doing a home instead of. I bought a home in line with the rest of my goals, which includes saving for my retirement, saving for my kids' education. So, I mean, that's the big thing. Home ownership is expensive. It is costly. We need to be aware of that and not sugarcoat that. And then when you are aware of that, you make better decisions. Absolutely. Well, I know also, like, I really liked the the beginning of your book because you talk about the reasons why you would buy a home. Because I think a lot of people often think about just the financial considerations like, well, I hear it's a good investment. It has been historically. Yeah, I mean, real estate will probably always go up because the land, we're not making more land. But yeah, could you make more money renting and investing? Could be. It really depends. Um, but yeah, probably. <laughs> but I think that's the reason. Mo like I bought a home not because I thought it was the best investment I could make. I bought it because I wanted to be a homeowner. Like so many of the things that you mentioned in your book, you know, reasons that people give. It's like I wanted stability. I think for me, moving around so much, renting so many different places, I just wanted some kind of stability and also just like having a place that really is I could make it my own. I could actually paint the walls, not get in trouble, all that kind of stuff. Do you want to kind of talk why that really should be where people's focus should be right at the get go when they're trying to make the decision? Should I, you know, uh, continue to rent or buy? It's like, well, there's a lot of things to consider. It's not just the numbers. Oh, I, I think you just summed it up. It isn't just yeah. the numbers. Mm -hmm. I think the numbers actually detract from the real reasons why we do buy. And I, I think that's why I did put it in the book. In fact, it's kind of the motivation for why I wrote the book. I was so tired of this smart decision, not smart decision. You should yeah. buy, you shouldn't buy. And it was all based on these, like the hot properties is hot and you shouldn't buy. Says the homeowner who bought 30 years ago. Like, exactly. thank you for giving me, you know, hindsight <laughs> advice. Your 2020 vision looks totally different than mine. Mm -hmm. So what should I do now that I am 
getting married or, or starting a family or just want some permanence, what should I do? I should actually acknowledge that my well-being, my emotional well-being, my security actually matters. In fact, I can't really go forward on anything else if, if you look at like other theories, Maslow's hierarchy of, of needs. You can't really move forward unless you have that security. So acknowledge it, understand it. Don't justify buying a home for financial reasons when those are the wrong reasons. Don't need to justify. You just need to acknowledge this is the reason I'm going to buy. Now, how do I do it in a smart way so that I can be okay with the emotional reasons, but then not kibosh my my desire for like retiring before, you know, age 85 because mm-hmm. I have some savings to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess that is the question that, you know, everyone's, you know, it's on everyone's mind is especially when, you know, housing in many cities across the country, is just you're spending over a million dollars no matter what you want. And I think a lot of people are worried that, you know, because we've been talking about a bubble for, I swear, the last decade and it's yet to like burst kind of like we, we, we foresee. Is this the right time to buy? Is it not? I think the the biggest worry that people have is buying at the right time. I guess market timing, which, you know, as a passive investor, I'm like, just don't worry about it. Just, you know, it's a long term kind of thing. But people are worried because you do hear stories from people like, oh, you know, I bought in the 80s, 90s, 2000s and I lost money. You hear those stories from somebody always. And people don't want to be that person. And you're like, so how do I avoid being that person? How do I have a plan? That, yeah. that, I mean, so I'm going to give you my anecdotal mm. um, story because I think it's really applicable to what happened. Um, my husband and I decided we were going to move from Toronto to Vancouver, or lower mainland. Um, I fell in love with Bowen Island. I don't know if you've ever been here, but oh, Bowen Island is gorgeous. this queen. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. I still think it's fantastic. And I fell in love because I was, you know, pushing around a pram on, on one and was pregnant with another. And I saw a school class of, of kids cycling by on mountain bikes and that was their PE class. And I was like, oh, we need to live here. So I fell in love and that was a two-year plan. We had a two-year plan to get out here. By the time we executed the price, it, they've, they've gone yeah. astronomical, we've never gone on. It never made sense when we crunched the numbers to do that ferry, because you have to do ferry commutes, to do mm-hmm. the ferry commute, which is about $1,000 per vehicle or per person per mm-hmm. month uh, mm-hmm. on top of the, the housing price. So unless we could stay on the island, which we didn't think we could, so we had to let go of that. But we, do, I mean, two years of planning, and we still came out here. And now we're in a hot market and Toronto hasn't peaked. So we need to really hustle to try and get a really good price for our house, which is going to buy half the house here. And that's exactly what happened. So I bought it what considered was considered then in May 2017 as the top of the market. Sad for me, but it wasn't. Because I looked at my husband and I was like, even if we paid 100000 and this sounds big, so even if we paid $100,000 in a lifestyle choice premium, so I paid $100,000 extra to be in this house, in this area, you know, so that my kids could go to the school, so I could be a homeowner, I'm okay with that for a number of reasons. One, the whole renter thing didn't work for us. We looked at homes, three-bedroom homes, and I needed my dedicated office, three-bedroom homes with 3500 per month and up. That was... $1,000 more than any mortgage we were going to get. That's ridiculous. Okay, so I have to buy. Well, I have to buy, and what if it goes down? Who cares? I'm not going to crystallize that loss, and it did go down. So we get our tax assessment in 2018, and it's down 100000 Now, theoretically, I've spent $200,000 on a lifestyle premium. Oh, I'm okay. Do you know why? It's not an actual loss. It's what someone has valued my home if I were to sell it, but I'm not selling it. I bought this home with a five-year, 10-year, and lifetime plan. That means in five years, we can execute and sell if we wanted to. We're now at five years. We don't want to. Love the neighborhood. Don't want to go anywhere. Okay, 10 years, we'll reassess. We'll see what happens. And in 25 years, we'll reassess. Why did we do that? Because I needed, both my husband and I knew that life changes quickly. We sold our forever home in Toronto. We bought it. We're like, this is beautiful. This is our forever home. It was but it's in Toronto and we didn't want to live there. So now we're here and we're in a home and it's lovely. Well, my husband's making it lovely and I'm okay with that. So market timing, you can't time the market unless you're an investor. I think investors really need to be far more aware of the market cycles because it's a purely mathematical equation. But a homeowner needs to consider all the other factors. Schooling, if it's important, um, dog parks, if it's important, safe area for cats. Our, our area is n- notorious. There's no outdoor cats or they last very, very little time with all the cougars around. So you have to think about all these things. Transit, you know, do we have amenities that are important? All of that goes into purchasing a home and that has nothing to do with the market. The market is whether or not you want to buy and sell quickly or you think your job is going to change and you suddenly have to, and that's happened. I've met people where they bought their home, renovated 
everything immediately. And then three years later, they got a job transfer and had to leave. And I was like, oh, but that's buying without foresight. Are you in a position in your career where you don't think you're going to be transferred to another city? Because if you're not, I would be downgrading that dream home into like a really manageable, nice home and like bank your money, either pay down the mortgage really quickly and use some of the tools to take back the equity and invest or, you know, double up on your TFSAs and your RSPs. Because in the end, homes are just bricks and mortar. They're always going to be there. There's always going to be some sold and some bought. You can always have another choice to get into the market at any time and trying to time the dips. If you're fortunate, great. But if you're not, okay, it's okay. It's still a good part of your financial plan if you do it strategically. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think, one of the hesitations, I think, of me and my husband buying, you know, kind of looking back, I'm like, oh, I wish we actually bought earlier, we could have. But part of it was, we didn't know what our lifestyle was going to be. We were originally from Vancouver, moved to Toronto. And I'm like, are we going to stay here? Or are we going to move back? We, you know, it took us a few years to be like, I think we're going to stay here for a while. But still, I'm like, I don't know. And even still, I'm like, oh, maybe we'll move back. We've been here almost 10 years. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I was like, but then at a certain point, you know, I guess it was uh, over five years ago we bought our townhouse. I'm like, you know what? We're going to buy this townhouse for, and we're going to stay here for at least five years, five years. And so I knew that we it would still be, you know, worthwhile, even if we stayed five years and then left to go back to Vancouver or something. And then, you know, at a certain point, we're like, this place isn't working for us. I think we're still going to stay in Toronto. So let's sell this place and then buy this house. And then for this house, I'm like, it was pricey. We're staying here for at least 10 years because I kind of think... 10 years will be the amount of time we really do need to figure out because then by that point we'll be both in our mid 40s and like we're going to figure out do we want to continue to live in the city or go someplace else and I think it'll be basically we'll live here for as long as we want to live the city life and then when we want to do something a bit different like I've dreams of living in the country or something like that, then at that point, we'll have a better idea. But yeah, it's you can't think really short term. And if you can't think long term, then maybe buying something isn't the right time or buying something that's more flexible that you can easily rent out like a condo or something like that. I mean, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm actually looking back. I'm like, I'm glad we didn't buy a house because I, I don't think we would have made a lot of life choices that we did. Like I was still working a corporate job that I hated. <laughs> and I feel like if we were kind of, you know, forced to continue to pay that, you know, much more expensive mortgage and all the home maintenance, I probably would have stayed and I wouldn't have like left and then started my own business and stuff because of the financial things. But because we waited a little bit longer, bought something way smaller and cheaper, we had more options. And I think that's always an important thing. And it's, I mean, that, that makes me happy that you guys did it that way. Mm -hmm. Okay. Are you in the, we had a lot know, of pressure, though. We had a lot of pressure oh. to buy because everyone's like, you got to buy the land. It's stupid to buy a condo. Everyone was telling us it was because all of our friends who bought, you know, 10 years prior before us, we took we were kind of the late bloomers when that. Yeah, we always kind of felt like everyone's buying houses. I don't know how they can buy a house. We don't even own anything. And so we felt really kind of like, oh, are we doing this backwards or something? But it's that's the other thing, too, is you can't get like I say this on the podcast all the time, you cannot compare yourself to other people's journeys, right? Yes. Because if you yes. do, then you just feel like crap. <laughs> yes, I, I'm never going to measure up to the people I choose to compare. with. I don't yeah. I don't bother look at the fact that, you know, as North Americans, we're in like the upper echelon yeah. of privilege. Don't look yeah. at that. I look at Oh, I don't have that. I don't mm -hmm. have that. Well, no, but I'm I mean, my husband and I come from a background independently where we're I'm fortunate to be alive. And I'm very la happy that I, you know, am I behind my peers? Yes. Am I fortunate and lucky, like you said, to, to have opportunities? Oh, 100%. And, you know, your friends, I get where they're coming from. I get that you should buy a house. But their their decisions 10 years prior are totally different than your decisions. My, my brother's a good example. He's, he's a professor at here, and he bought his first home last year, very late in life. And why? Because he spent 10 years after sort of uh, master's, but not PhD, traveling. 10 years. 10 solid years traveling the world did weird jobs. Some of the stuff he, you would write back and phone back and crazy stuff. But you know what? It, I mean, as a professor, he has the bet, he has the best ratings. People come up and they're like, Oh, your stories are great. Well, the, all of that was an investment in the stories, an investment in who he is as, as a teacher and as someone who imparts knowledge to, to kids eventually like my kids. So I look at that and think, you know, lifestyle does have a huge factor in this. Yeah. Again, it, it's different if you want to buy, you know, an investment property and rent it out mm -hmm. and then maybe take it over. Fine. But that's a different mindset than buying a home. And the home is part of you achieving all your goals, not the goal is up to buy a home. And that I emphasize that like the goal isn't to buy a home. It's a milestone along a series of goals. 
don't take your eye off the prize. You know, I think the line I put is, uh, you know, celebrate that you bought a home, but don't get stuck at that party. Like it's yeah. just a one-time <laughs> night. We've got to get out. Like don't get all hung over and continue partying. You got to get on with the rest of the stuff, which is maintain your home and build your, build your financial independence so that you can continue doing the things that you want to do. Like starting mm-hmm. a business, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I completely agree. Now, I know some people listening are probably uh, also really interested. And this is why your book is so great for like the real practical stuff, like the saving money on things. One thing we kind of touched on was like the home maintenance aspect. I know you kind of um, talked about this in your book about, you know, there's a longstanding rule of thumb, save, you know, one to 5% of like the value of your home. I always like, I'm like, yeah, okay, that's a good starting point. But it's like, where did that number even come from? Because depending on what kind of home you have, it may be way less or way more. What are your kind of thoughts about, because I get those questions all the time, how much should I save? Because I don't want to be in a situation where something breaks and I don't have money. Yeah, I mean, that's it's a great question. I, I do go into a, quite a bit of detail. That was actually probably the genesis of the book when it first sort of came into idea 10 years ago. I'd written a, an article on like your ultimate home maintenance plan. And I actually went out and I researched every single single component that you had to look at and looked at all, like the sort of the bare minimum to keep your home in really excellent shape. Yeah. Right. And I looked at that and I, I looked at, you know, the amortized cost of replacement, you know, because if you're in a home and you're a homeowner at some point in your home ownership career, Maybe not that home, but in your home ownership career, you will have to do the electrical, the plumbing, the roof, the the big stuff. And so if you look at all of that, I wanted to know, because we, we did buy a fixer-upper money pit, my husband. And I'm grateful. It's still a rental property. It's a fantastic property. Uh, but we had to put a lot of money and a lot of work into it. Uh, my husband was actually, because you're, you're in Toronto, you'll, you'll laugh at this. My husband was doing the roof on the, it's a row house, was doing the roof and they were doing the um, August... Uh, uh, the P&E flyovers. Oh, yeah. And he almost fell off the roof because he was so shocked and startled because that's right down near there. And he's like, what the? You know, so he did, he did a lot of work on the house. And I mean, we I wanted to understand, do these rules of thumb, which are, by the way, decades old, so that one to 5% is decades old, might be my age, I'm older, might, you know, might be might be even my my parents' age, I don't know, but it's it's very old. Where do they come from? Well, they came from people trying to get a better grasp when homes were significantly cheaper. So you could buy a home for 150,000 and one to 5% of a $150,000 home makes sense. But you're talking about a $1.5 million home. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. cannot, I mean, if you can save one to 5% and you're not putting it away in TFSAs and you're not doing RSPs, yeah. but it's simply being socked away as an emergency fund for your phone, please phone me. I wanna yeah. hear your tips. I wanna hear yeah. your chick. I, I wanna know how, what you're doing. Because of that, and I am also a big believer in trying to find the best spot for that earned dollar. And that's what it's all about. It's like, I don't want to just, you know, put the cash. A lot of people, I, well, I just put it in a high interest savings account, which is losing your money because inflation is higher than what you're like. You want to know how to use that dollar well. So I wanted to get a better idea. I did go into a lot of detail, a lot of, a lot of calculation. And I think, you know, it came down to, um, it's terrible that I can't remember. It's like about a dollar per square foot. It's a little less to about $4 a square foot. And I'm rounding, I'm rounding up a little bit. But that helps you understand that, okay, if I'm a very do-it-yourselfer or if I have a newer home or lots of upgrades, I'm probably on the lower end. So if my home's 2,000 square feet, I multiply that by, you know, a dollar. And now I know that's what I'm going to put aside for maintenance. That's it. And then if you have an older home, you're going to do the higher level. But what I found, and this is the reason why I sort of did this exercise, is when you blindly do the the 1% to 5%, you actually leave money on the table. And that can actually be, you know, in five years, almost $100,000. That's significant. You know, that's a that's a down payment on a property, right? So for that reason, I really want to challenge people to say, okay, I understand you don't want to look at every little line item. I get that. But at least at the very least, put aside one, an emergency fund, because that's the just in case, oh my goodness, I need heat and it's the middle of the winter and my furnace has just t- died. And two, put in your budget the line item that you will on every every single month put aside this money so that you can actually pay for your maintenance, pay for all the stuff that has to happen. And it's about a dollar to four dollars per square foot. Yeah, no, I, I think that's super helpful. But yeah, because I, I remember I posted something on Instagram was just like, oh, I, you know, bought a house and I didn't realize I have to save like one to three percent of the home. Ba- and the comments were like, what? I'm like, it's just a rule of thumb, guys. It's just a rule of thumb. I'm not actually saving one hundred thousand dollars or whatever per year for maintaining my home. Like, that's ridiculous. like, what am I doing with my house if I'm spending that much? But yeah, I think it's it's one of those things when people are like, oh, you know, uh, how much do I need to live? What should my cost of living be? I'm like, well, it really depends. You have to honestly 
honestly go line by line and it's not fun, but that's why I always say you got to have a budget and track your spending. Otherwise you just, you could be potentially leaving money on the table and just having it sit in the savings account when you could put it to better use. And I, I know also like talking about better use, you also talk uh, a lot about how can you improve the value of your home? I think a lot of people, believe me, it's so easy to get sucked into just making your house beautiful. Believe me, I am constantly at war with myself and not just spending a ton of money because you are on Instagram or Pinterest and all these beautiful photos. But then I always remember, you know, what I did with my townhouse, which it, it worked. It's like I made sure that we only spent money on things that I knew that the next buyers would like and you know it was very easy to find what we need to do rip out those disgusting carpets all this kind of stuff and in your mind what are some key things that people should prioritize before getting to some of those more maybe more fun renovations yeah i, I mean I, I think the way i'd answer that is the first thing you should prioritize is you need to sit down with a pen and paper homework right and it's not a budget but i want you to make a list of all the things you want to do I want a new kitchen. I want to know this. Make a list. And the reason why I say make a list is these are the things you want to spend your money on. They're going to have an emotional tug on you. And then make a list of all the things you have to do. Okay, my inspection report said the, the roof in 10 years. So make that list. And then just sort of ballpark the figures the best you can. You go online, you know, from memory, whatever. And then also identify beside each one, is this a lifestyle? Like, is this just because I want it? Or is this a necessary, like it, in order to keep up with my with the Joneses, I don't want to put it that way, but I'm going to say it. If everyone else is... I don't know, um, I'm trying to think of something that, that actually, if everyone else has a garage and you don't, you're going to be seen as undervalued in the neighborhood. And so if you want to keep up with the Joneses, which is the only time you need to look at that and say, is it worth it to put 30 or 40,000 to putting into a garage or not? And then you have to weigh up those. But you want to put all of that down on paper. And this is not a judgment. This is not like, this is bad, this is good. This is inventory taking. I'm in a store. I need to know what stock I have. Let's take my inventory. And when you do that, so I say prioritize that, make the list, and then the, the cost and then the reasons, lifestyle, what have you. And then I say, then look at your plan. Look at your financial plan. Where are you going to get the money to do the necessary ones? And do you have anything left over to do the lifestyle ones? Mm -hmm. And what I often say is if you're going to do a lifestyle one, do it early, not late. Don't do it at yeah. the end of your home ownership. No, Don't you're not going to enjoy it. Yeah, right. And mm -hmm. yes, I get the fact that, you know, five or 10 years from now, after I rented my renovated my kitchen, it'll be outdated, but it'll cost significantly cheaper to update it a little bit than if I wait at the very last minute and have this beautiful kitchen that I only get to enjoy for a year before I have to sell my home. So I often, I feel so bad for our neighbors. We're, we're the renovators with the toilet on the lawn for three months. Like we're, I mean, we try and hide the stuff so it's not that bad, but we're the people that it's it's nice on the inside before the outside. Why? Because the inside has to be all buttoned up. I have to get it all waterproof and electrically working, etc. And it's all buttoned up and done. And then the outside. And so as long as I have, I, if I have Tyvek, which is that sheeting that they put on, yeah. I don't know, you know, yeah. if I have Tyvek on my home for three years, which I did, then it's okay because <laughs> it's waterproof and I'm okay. And it doesn't mm -hmm. look great, but I'm not selling my home, so it doesn't matter. And mm -hmm. my neighbors, thankfully, are, are I give them lots of cookies and lots of cupcakes <laughs> at different times of the year just to keep them you know, happy and, and, and okay with the fact that, yes, we're the long renovators. That's okay. If you're doing your renovation to prioritize it, make sure that you look at all of it, prioritize the ones that you have to do, prioritize your planning and your budget, and allow yourself those lifestyle upgrades as long as it fits your financial plan. I know that's not like a, oh, do this, do that, but I really try and emphasize that. Um, and the only other thing that I would say is the, another strategy of looking at this is whenever you're looking at doing any renovation, whether it's lifestyle or not, think about what problem it's trying to solve. So a lot of times when you're looking at redoing your kitchen, it's like, well, it's so outdated. Well, look at it. What is it? Is it a galley? Like it's a straight line so it doesn't have that nice flow? Fix it. Because nobody is going to come into that home, no matter how glossy and shiny, and I've, we've done a lot, I've done a lot of walkthroughs, no matter how glossy and shiny that galley kitchen is and not see the problem, even if it looks fantastic. So if, if you're going to spend the money to, to make it look pretty, spend the money to fix the problem. Because if you do, I can, I mean, I can't guarantee, but I can, I so firmly will, I will solidly stand behind the statement, which is you, others will see value in the problems you've solved because they're coming in and saying, oh, they thought of that. That's, oh, that's great. And I, I speak from anecdotal experience. I speak from experience of friends. I mean, I don't have, there's no statistics that show that, but I really do think that there are, and there's statistics that tangentially, you know, coincidentally support it, but there's no direct, you know, dollar for dollar uh, or stat for stat. But I do think that if you solve a problem, 
buyers, potential buyers see that value. And so not only do you get the benefit of solving a problem that irritated you, but then your buyers also see the sort of, oh, they've seen everything, they've thought of everything, this is a well-maintained good home. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I'm always constantly like I did this a lot with our last place. And I'm, I'm doing this a little less with this house just because I'm like, we're staying here longer. So I'm not going to worry too, too much. I want to actually enjoy, you know, do some of these renos and us, you know, actually enjoy it. But I am always thinking like, will this be a nuisance when we do want to sell, you know, because we're like, we put this in and no one else is going to want it. Um, but you know, for example, like my kitchen, it's like, it's the nicest kitchen I've ever had. Because believe me, the, the kitchen that we had in our last place was not as new, but it's definitely like, you know, was renovated maybe 15 years ago. And so it's like dark cabinets, kind of that, you know, peppery kind of granite and all that stuff. And I'm like, oh, all the houses that we saw before this were beautiful white, like white is the trend. And I'm like, you know what, though, by the time that we actually have the money to renovate, I bet the white trend is going to be on to some other trends. So I guess that's the other kind of question I have is, we, we obviously are always looking at, you know, photos and, and inspiration for things. It can get very easy to get sucked into what's kind of new and fresh. But, you know, when it comes to, I guess, especially like doing the the big things like your kitchen, and your bathrooms, what should you really prioritize in terms of like, you know, we don't want this to be a trend that's then we sell it 10 years later and then it's an old trend. Yeah, I mean, what I prioritize is materials. So if I'm going to do a kitchen, I need to do a kitchen that allows me to swap out colors. What do I mean by that? Um, are my cabinets, are they capable of taking on another coat of, a coat of paint? And I don't mean like with a, with a brush, because I cannot get that nice. But can I take all the cabinet doors off? Or can I get another company in? They actually come and they spray it all and it has that beautiful factory finish. Can they do that? If I've got cheap cabinets, because I didn't have a lot of money to do, then I'm not going to be able to do that. So I better pick a very neutral, and it might not be my favorite, but a very neutral, very bog standard, you know, color, whether it be white or grays. And I mean, I do, I do like white kitchens. I do think that I've seen kitchens that are really fun and they're like yellow. And I had a, a kitchen once where my husband painted like this huge yellow wall because I've always wanted this farmhouse sunny mm -hmm. yellow kitchen. And so we did that. When we went to sell, that wall disappeared because it's yeah. not everyone's taste, right? Yeah. So you want to do, you want to make the changes or do the upgrades based on whether or not how quickly and how inexpensive or expensive it is to, to, to change that to more of a neutral, my personality doesn't exist. And that requires a little bit of investigation of what materials. So I pay for, you know, good drawer clothing, closing. Why? Because bad drawer closing will break. And so I go to sell it in 10 years and I got a, a drawer that's, you know, off kilter. That looks bad. Makes my whole kitchen look bad. So I want to make sure I've, I've got the money where the supplies are going to last, the material is going to last, the craftsmanship is going to last. But I would never buy, and my husband used to do, he used to do a custom, well, he did here, he did custom uh, West Vancouver homes. In Toronto, he did custom, you know, homes. And I mean, he was the first to say, if you don't have the budget for a custom kitchen, you can get some really smart off-the-shelf like options, and you can then pay a carpenter, he's a carpenter by trade, pay a finishing carpenter to do sort of embellishes that make it look 100% custom. So there's lots of tricks and, and ways to make things your personality without going way over budget. And it just requires a little bit, well, it requires a lot more research and a lot more commitment to say, my renovator, my contractor is not necessarily going to have all of these answers, but if I come with these goals in mind, hey, I want to spend this, but I want to, you know, focus on this. Good contractors will help you. I remember my husband sitting down with many a homeowner saying, you don't have the budget for this, but I can tell you if this is your goal over here, you've got these three options. What do you want to yeah. do? And just those small conversations. I mean, he never advertised. He always had business. Why? Because mm -hmm. he really worked with people to stay in budget, but also get, you know, that dream quality to their renovation. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think often like one thing that I've um, discovered over the years is I think lots of us always focus on like those big ticket things like God do the kitchen or the bathroom. But I mean, in our last place, we made it look nice and we never read I always wanted to redo the, the bathroom and the kitchens. We didn't. We just honestly put a coat of paint on them made them a little bit nicer and there's so many things around those big ticket items that can upgrade all the things like for our, our place currently we don't really have to do too many renos at the moment but the first thing i've did like we need to redo the carpets because they're like you know disgusting old carpet so get those out a fresh carpet literally makes such a big difference and then even updating the the staircase like the kind of banister and all that stuff they had the weirdest one set up where it honestly made the space look small or like it looked dated and somehow smaller i'm like if we just update it to some of those you know iron kind of things that all the houses have swap those out and we did it and i'm like it wasn't that expensive 
expensive and it makes our home look actually more new than it actually was. Just like there's so many little things that you can do or just like, you know, the doorknobs and all those stuff that I love doing those things because they're inexpensive and they make your house look more expensive. <laughs> like you have a brand new home. And, and I, I mean, yeah. there are people that do the before and after. And you're like, that's the yeah. same home? Coat yeah. of paint and some hardware? A few Coat light of paint fixtures? can do so much. Like it's right? like there's basically this whole house was painted white on the inside which I appreciate but there was one room we actually just painted it this weekend is uh it was the beige room I'm like oh this house all used to be that beige we all know that beige from the you know mid 90s that was the cool neutral thing and I'm like I'm so glad there's only one room left that we have to paint because it was it was not easy to paint it just we did three coats and I'm still not sure if we got all of it but then once it was white I'm like this room looks a hundred million times better (laughs) right small updates make a big difference that's why we don't always have to do and that's why I'm saying list everything you know go in and, and make your dream list of all the renos we did and we're like oh we're never going to get to hot tub we we're good we're buying a hot tub we put a hot tub deposit down on a way to exp- we actually decided to do a cedar barrel which is but this is we decided we would do that as part of our anniversary it's part of us staying in the home like these were decisions that we made five years ago we're pulling the trigger on them now because we thought about what would happen what are we going to do where are we going to be if we're here let's revisit we revisit and you when you do those smaller or you do the less expensive or less dramatic, it's amazing. I mean, home stagers know this. They'll tell you. That's why they've got a good business. They'll come in and say, if I swap out your furniture, I can get you a better price. That's it? Yes. It makes a world of difference. Oh my gosh. Present the best version of my home. Nobody lives with uncluttered counters. I don't care who you are. (laughs) And yet when we show our homes, there's nothing on that counter, right? (laughs) Uh, I feel like I could have you on the show for... another like another hour honestly but honestly what I would just going through this book and for all the people that have ever asked me a question about home ownership and what they should do this is the the guide to especially Canadian focused I think that's really important because so many things you get advice from people down south and it's like well you your house is two hundred thousand dollars it's a different ball game you know and so it's I think really important uh, a really great book I highly recommend uh so where can people grab a copy and where can people maybe follow you on social media and see what else you're writing Sure. Uh, I have a website. It's just my name, RamonaKing.com. Uh, I can be seen on Zolo.ca, which is uh, where I'm the director of content. And the book is on Amazon. So if you go into Amazon.ca, yay, Canadian yay. book, then you can buy it. And it is Canadian focused. You're right. Uh, and I, I wrote it specifically for Canadians because Canadians need this, right? So we really, really do. Because, oh, man, I, I mean, I'm sure like you'll never run out of content to write from all the questions you probably get. <laughs> I won't. I haven't yet. And I don't, I mean, that's the other thing. I like getting readers talk to me and they do on Facebook. I don't answer every them and I don't answer always timely. But if you catch me at the right time and I do, I I am able to answer. I mean, I've gone, I've gone about for nine months, helped people out just because you Mm -hmm. happen to be the lucky one. And I, I really do like finding out about homeowner issues or, or, or issues and helping people because people help me. So I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm paying it forward, right. Or paying it backward, I guess. I don't know. I love that. Well, thank you again for joining me on the show. It was a pleasure having you and sharing all of your wisdom. Again, everyone should grab a copy of House Poor No More because if you were like, think you're a new homeowner or you're thinking of becoming a homeowner, or even if you've been a homeowner for a while and you're not sure if you're doing it right, this is the book you should read. And that was episode 330 with Romana King. Make sure to uh, check her out. A few different places you can check her out. She has her own website, Romana King. So this R-O-M-A-N-A king.com. You can also uh, find out a lot of the things that she's writing about at Zolo.ca. So you can look at that. And of course, you can find her on Facebook and LinkedIn. I'm going to link to those um, in the show notes for this episode to make it really easy. So just go to jessicamorehouse.com slash 330. And of course, if you want to find out the show notes for any episode you've ever listened to, all you have to do, a couple things you can do, actually. Uh, First, you can just go to jessicamorehouse.com slash podcast. It will have all of the episodes there, or just go jessicamorehouse.com slash whatever the number of that episode is. Hence why I give these episodes numbers. So you can easily find them on my website. Lots of things to share with you. So do not go away. But first, I want to share just a few words about this podcast episode sponsor. This episode of the More Money Podcast is supported by Oxio, Empathy, Radical Transparency, Simplicity, Free Spirit. When you hear these words, I doubt the first thing you'd associate them with is an internet company. Oxio wants to change that. They believe in disrupting the internet provider space in Canada and putting the customer first. 
finally. And they're doing just that by providing local and friendly customer service, unlimited internet, no contracts, and competitive pricing to customers in Quebec, Ontario, British Columbia, and Alberta. That's why I made the switch to Oxio myself. Not only that, when you sign up using the promo code MOREMONEY, you get your first month free. Plus, like everyone at Oxio, an Eero 6 router with ridiculously fast Wi-Fi speeds and better privacy controls is included. And once you've signed up, you can even use Oxio's referral program to earn free internet. Want to ditch your old internet provider like me? Just visit oxio.ca and use promo code MORE to try out Oxio for free for one month. It's as simple as that. Once again, visit oxio.ca, that's O X I O.ca, and use promo code MORE to try Oxio for free for one month. Okay, first things first, uh, I'm giving away a copy of Romana's book, but I'm also giving away copies of 13 other books. There have been, I feel like this is a record for uh, authors on the show, and I didn't necessarily do it intentionally. There's just a lot of new personal finance books out, I guess. I don't know, but there's uh, a ton of books I'm giving away and you can enter to win all of them. I mean, you'll only win one, um, but you have, you know, now your chances are actually pretty good because, um, uh, you know, I'm not getting thousands of entries to these contests, let me tell you. I'm getting hundreds. So your odds are in your favor to win one of these books. Um, so if you just go to jessicamorehouse.com slash contests, you can enter to win, see all the different books, and good luck to you. And the fun thing is, if you do get, um, uh, if you do win, uh, I personally email the book. Like I do it like old school. I buy the book to support the author. And then I mail it to you with a nice little personalized note. So that's kind of fun. I like mailing things quite honestly. It's an excuse for me to mail things. I like sending people packages. So uh, make sure to do that. What else? What else? What else? Oh yeah. The big news I would have to say is I finally, and I'm sure my web designer is like, thank God this is over. Um, finally have a new website. <laughs> this has been in the works, you guys, since gosh, November, I think is when we started working on this uh, new website. And you know, these things take time, but I've had my old website for over five years. And it was something that I designed myself. And at the time, it was fine. But uh, you know, time happens. And then you compare your website to others, you're like, Oh, gosh, this needs an update, a really big update. Um, and so now I finally hired a professional. And she killed it. And I have a new website, jessicamorehouse.com. That is where you can find the new website and hopefully you enjoy it. Hopefully it's easier to navigate and just looks a lot nicer. I'm really excited about it um, and hoping just for some other things to share with you very soon. They're on my little to-do list, but I'm very close to having all of my budget spreadsheets updated. So I've been also working with um, an expert Excel Google Sheets person um, from Australia, very fun, um, to basically take my the budget spreadsheets that I've had for years and years and years. Like honestly, I think I've been putting them on my website for people to download for gosh, six or seven years now. Um, well, they also needed to be evolved and and just, you know, better. And there's a limitation to my, you know, expertise when it comes to Google Sheets and uh, Excel. So I hired someone to, to take them to the next level. And I'm so excited to launch those very soon. If you are, hey, I, you know, downloaded one of your spreadsheets or I bought one uh, in the past, don't worry. If you're on my email list, you will get notified of when the new version will be out. Um, so yeah, that's something to look forward to. I'm very excited. Uh, another thing to let you know about is uh, my investing course, a wealth building blueprint for Canadians. Um, you know, just a few months ago, we crossed the one year anniversary of me launching the course. And uh, obviously, it is an investing course specifically about passive investing specifically for Canadians. It just also went through a huge update um, to make it even more comprehensive and just like, I don't know, I'm just so excited about it. Um, and so if you want to learn more, and if this is like, you're like, you know what, yeah, I do need to start learning how to invest my money and I have no idea where to start. This is literally the course that was built specifically for you. This is the course I wish existed when I was starting my investing journey and just couldn't find anything like it. And so I did the very long journey of, you know, doing the Canadian securities course and becoming an accredited financial counselor. And now I'm starting to become a CFP and have read literally hundreds of books on this topic. And no one needs to do that in order to learn how to invest for the retirement. Like that's a lot of work. Um, and so I condensed everything I know 
into this course to help you you know, re- retire one day or save for a home down payment and not just put it in cash, but invest it and just really understand what goes into investing in Canada. And like, this is not like, I wouldn't really consider this like a, yeah, a basic course. You know, there's some courses out there and you get them. You're like, Oh, okay. I know all of this. You will not know all of this stuff. This is a very, very comprehensive, uh, in-depth course, and you're going to get a lot out of it. So if you want to learn more, you can check out the show notes. There is a link in there, jessicamorehouse.com slash 330, or just go to jessicamorehouse.com slash WBB. That's where you can find it. Um, and of course, if you have any questions, I'm always happy to answer over email, jessica at jessicamorehouse.com or DM me on Instagram. So there you go. Um, let's see. Anything else to share? Gosh, I mean, I don't think so. I think that's all I've got for you. So uh, thank you so much for listening. A big shout out to my podcast editor, Matt Rideout. And I will see you back here next Wednesday with a fresh new episode of the More Money Podcast. Have an amazing week, weekend. See you next Wednesday. This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.